1: Welcome to Spark London.
0: We tell true stories.
1: We tell them live.
0: And we tell them every month at the Canal Cafe Theatre. This story was performed by Habby Schwartz in March 2010,
1: where the theme was Lost and Found.
0: I'm in love with an enigmatic Frenchman, poetic and graceful and quiet and beautiful. He works for a mental health charity, he writes songs on his guitar, he loves his kids. He's recently divorced. He has no money at all, and he lives only for exceptional moments, for passion and ecstasy. Me too. We don't see each other very often because he lives in Banbury and I live in London. Every five years, his work gives him one month's sabbatical. The year that we meet, his first sabbatical is happening, and also his 50th birthday. Uh, And so my birthday present is to treat him, us, to 30 days in South India it's his lifelong dream and as for me i love india more than anywhere else in the world just the sensual feast of it the joy the sorrow the endlessness of it all i plan us a magical itinerary a lake in Kerala, the ruins of Hampi, family friends in Bangalore, once French French Pondicherry, the commune in Auroville, meditation in Mysore, the hills of Uti, and most of all, as much time as we want to spend in villages, towns, um, boats, trains with Indian people. We've both been working without a break for 18 months, and we're looking forward to this trip so much it hurts. I got the Indian visa months ago. Some of you may know that's a laborious process. I read the other day that the uh, Indian tourist board complained to their own government about visa chaos stopping people wanting to go to India. My lover arrives at my flat the night before. I greet him with a little dance. I'm giddy with anticipation. He calls me radiant. I love it when he says that. I feel radiant. He mentions that on the tube he saw a very skinny, anorexic girl who kept pushing against him and then vanished. Over dinner we discover why. His passport's gone. It was in his rucksack. He's sure of that, but I'm not sure. I say, go back to Banbury and check, for God's sake. He calls me at 10 o'clock that night. It's gone. Fuck! It's not just a passport. It's a bloody French passport. A notoriously impossible to ever replace French passport. (laughs) And inside it, a notoriously impossible to ever obtain Indian visa. And we fly at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Lunchtime. Fuck, fuck, fuck. No chance. (laughs) I feel sick. Remember to breathe. My lover's on his way back to London, but everything seems pointless. I try to control my sobbing and call the emergency number I found online for the French consulate while he's on the train. (sighs) Monsieur, monsieur, my French boyfriend, he's lost his passport. It got stolen today, and is there any chance because we've got to go to India tomorrow at one o'clock? Could he maybe get some kind of emergency passport in the morning? And he interrupts icily, madame. If you are calling about a missed holiday, this is an emergency number for serious problem. Your friend, he can apply for a new passport like everybody else, and it will take three, maybe four weeks. Au revoir. Merde. On impulse, I call the only other number there is on, on the website for the French consulate outside office hours, and a woman answers. I talk to her, and she confirms that if this is indeed a voyage d'agrément, which means a journey of pleasure, bureaus speak for a holiday, pure indulgence and unnecessary frivolity, not working and taking someone else's spouse, no doubt. Anyway, for such a trip, the passport will indeed take many weeks, because the paperwork has to go via France. But this woman sounds like a human being, and a little light goes on in my head, and I say, Madame, what if this were a work trip? Ah, alors, if it were a work trip, and you could prove it, then we could maybe give an interim passport in the morning? Her voice is smiling. Aha, if there's one thing the French love more than bureaucracy, it's subverting bureaucracy. <laughs> even, even the bureaucrats themselves, if you're lucky enough to find a rebellious one. I once made a little film for the BBC about how the French have a passion for bucking the system with their cunning plans. This woman is the system, but she seems happy for me to have a cunning plan. Tell him to come early in the morning, and he will be first in the queue, and Madame, du calme. So, I call my lover, he's on the train, keeps cutting off, call your boss now, can she say this is a work trip? But my boss goes to bed early and she's just got married to her lesbian lover and they're on honeymoon and I don't want to wake her up. He frets, wake her up, she'll understand. And she does. She says that this is pretty much a work trip anyway because these sabbaticals are meant to be broadening your horizons abroad. It would be such a shame to have to wait another five years. Midnight. We report this theft at the local police station. There's a lone officer at the desk reading Terry Pratchett. I come up and I explain our problem and he says, oh, you're in the wrong place, you should be in the transport police place. And I say, where is that? And he says, oh, I don't remember, somewhere in town. And I say, could you look it up, please, sir, on that computer in front of you? Oh, no, I haven't got the internet. Well, why not? Well, we're not allowed to use the internet. And I'm too tired and too sick inside to wonder about why a lone policeman working at midnight in a... Northwest London police station isn't allowed to access the internet, (laughs) but is allowed to read Terry Pratchett. I don't know. Anyway, it's two o'clock. I google disability organizations in Bangalore and the names of their directors, and I draft a letter from my lover's boss mentioning that we've arranged meetings with all these people, Mr. Sons are from this organization, and I respectfully request that the French consulate will issue an emergency document for this vital fact-finding mission. The letter looks good, but we're so despondent. Even if tomorrow the French authorities, will it be Iceman or Nice Madame, agree to produce an instant passport, how the fuck are we going to get an instant Indian visa at the other side of town? There's no one to call about that one, except my parents, and they don't know either. Uh, Remember to breathe. 4 a.m. My lover is so skinny that he says he's too fragile to cope with a sleepless night and goes to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I can't sleep. (laughs) I am. Yeah, that's what he was like. I Google for miracles, but there aren't any. Indian visa yields only horror stories. Of course, I soon realise, and since then I've discovered to my own cost, that it's a lot harder in the other direction. If you invite an Indian person to come and visit the UK, they will have to go through outrageous hoops, huge dossiers, bank statements, the lot, and they're almost always rejected anyway. My friend in Bangalore tells me, I ring her up at 4am and it's 9 o'clock in the morning for her, and she says, the reason Indian visas are so complicated... Reciprocity, my dear. (laughs) Revenge on the Raj, it seems fair enough to me. But I don't want to lose our trip to paradise. I couldn't bear it to romance, to vibrancy, to exploration and sensuality and relaxation and togetherness and calm. We haven't been together for more than two days at a time ever since we met. He's only got one sabbatical every five years. My friend suggests I travel on my own. But how can I leave him in the UK and go to the magical village of Anigundi by myself? he will be like eating someone else's birthday cake. 6 a.m. His boss likes my letter. She emails her signature. We copy it. And my lover says that if we ever make it to India, he really will visit disability projects. I say maybe not in the Kerala backwaters, <laughs> darling. 7 a.m. He leaves for South Kensington. I stay at home with the luggage just in case. Remember to breathe. The French authorities come up trumps. I get a call at 10 a.m. Je l'ai. Qu'est-ce que je fais? I've got it. What do I do now? Take a taxi to the Indian High Commission, Shiri. Go, go, go. He never takes taxis. He's a charity worker. But I've convinced him that these are crisis tactics. He gets to the Aldwych, and there are, as always, if any of you have ever been there, many hundreds of people waiting outside and many more hundreds waiting inside, and the minimum amount of time that any one of them will have to wait is one full day. Indian officialdom is well known for its impenetrable inflexibility, But Indians themselves are the opposite. So maybe, but the whole thing's hopeless because there's only about half an hour left before we both have to leave for the airport in separate taxis if we could ever possibly make this flight. At the consulate, my lover approaches the man, giving out the tickets for the queue, and explains he has a flight to Bangalore at 1pm. Is there any chance of getting a visa in time? The man looks incredulous. "'Sir, it is not very likely. "'Actually, it's not at all likely, but let us try.' <laughs> so he leads my lover to the front of the queue, and he says, "'This gentleman has a flight at 1 o'clock. "'Is it okay if...?' And they all say, "'Yes, yeah, good luck, good luck, good luck.' So they give him the thumbs-up. The young woman at the visa counter looks dubious as well, but she offers to try. She says, "'First you need to give me the 30 pounds.' He says, "'Of course,' and gives her his visa card. "'Sorry, sir, only cash.' He's only got 50p. He runs out in search of a cash machine. There isn't one. Passes by say, helpfully, oh, there's nothing round here, mate. But he just keeps running because he lives in Banbury, never been to the Aldwych before. He's sure there must be a cash machine. This is London. And 25 minutes later, he finds one and runs back to the High Commission, knowing that he would have to leave in about two minutes if he was ever going to get the flight. Back home, I've forgotten to breathe altogether. But the visa woman smiles at him when he comes back and says, We knew you'd come back, sir, so we prepared the visa for you. Here you are. Good luck. We jump in our cabs, and in the end, and this is his favourite bit, he gets to Heathrow before me. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I find him standing in front of Terminal 3, dazed and triumphant, with his shiny green passport and a visa inside, and he's wondering aloud if he's still an atheist. In the waiting area, a charming elderly woman from Madurai says... Well, you won't get robbed in our country. And indeed, we don't. In 30 days of travelling, we experienced no hassle of any kind, only delight. He lost his passport to that skinny girl. What did she do with it? The police got it back later, several months later, and said his description of her was spot on. That should have been the end of our dream journey. But it seems that those American self-help books and my grandma were right. If you really, really want something, you somehow make it happen. I also learned that speaking to officials in a soft voice is much more effective than hysterical weeping. My determination, his lack of histrionics, bingo, that was two years ago. After we got back, it turned out that my lover was a narcissistic opportunist with a pathological habit of using women and breaking their hearts. I actually asked him how many hearts he'd broken, and he said ten. How many women have you known? I said, and he said ten that figured I should have gone to India by myself to eat that bloody birthday cake.
1: (laughs) More stories, or to take part in next month's show, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London is produced by Joanne Yates. Audio production by Matt Hill at rethinkdaily.co.uk. Hold up.